you ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with, while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with Human Behavior. What a trip. And we can have a wonderful trip for the next hour. I have my guest, Dr. Stan Tatkin. He's written a wonderful book called Wired for Love, How Understanding Your Partner's Brain and Attachment Style Can Help You Diffuse Conflict and Build a Secure Relationship. So I'd like to uh, bring on Dr. Stan Tatkin. I'll just call him Stan, and you all can call me Jonathan. Hi, Stan. Hey, Jonathan. How are you? Good. I'm glad you're here. Me too. So so you have this wonderful book, and uh, can you tell us briefly what... um, what prompted you to want to write this book, and how has it helped you and your uh, the people you help with relationships? Well, th- there was a book that came before this, Love and More and Intimate Relationships, and that was actually um, written for therapists. Uh, the, the The approach that I uh, developed called PACT, Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy, um, is really... Uh, introduced in that first book, but that was again for psychotherapists. I decided to write Wired for Love for uh, for couples, and so it's based on uh, on the the approach, the theory, the science that the first book was was uh, written about, um, and it focuses basically on uh, attachment, nervous system regulation, and um, and what people are good at and what they're not so good at. Uh, okay, how, how about you briefly tell the folks out there what attachment has to mean for you? And um, under attachment, you mentioned the uh, nervous system. Right, right. Yeah, if you can speak about those a little bit so people have a sense of how to make sense of all this. Uh, attachment theory goes back to the 1950s. It really has to do with uh, the, the, the understanding that um, it is a, a human need to bond with others, to attach to others. Um, that that is uh, that is how we are built, and uh, the way in which we do that in early childhood um, determines how you know, in, in terms of attachment terms, how secure or insecure we are um, in childhood, and also in, perhaps uh, in adolescence and early adulthood, and so on. So, in Wired for Love, uh, we take. The, the the attachment jargon out we replace it with new jargon basically uh, where there are anchors waves and islands and these represent um, the 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 three different possibilities in terms of how we are oriented from early childhood to move toward and away from others uh, islands you tend to avoid waves tend to cling and anchors uh, generally have a, uh, a a much easier time. Um, uh, managing relationships. Islands have an easier time of, ma- of relationships than waves or anchors? Say that again, I'm sorry? You said there's anchors, waves, and islands. Anchors, waves, and islands, yes. And uh, the islands tend to be? Islands tend to, uh, to, to be more distancing, more self-sufficient, uh, uh, like an island sounds. Uh, you know, I it's see. the I can do it myself uh, person. Yes. Uh, nobody can do it better than me. Um, th- these are people who 
uh, grew up in a uh, in a family culture where there was um, love, for, to be sure, but there was a, also a kind of neglect. These kids uh-huh. spend a lot of time alone. They learn how to self-soothe, how to self-stimulate, uh, you know, and that gets wired in pretty early and determines basically how they move toward and away from others in love relationships. And these people tend to be uh, more fiercely independent and, uh, and uh, act as though they don't have any need. And at what age does this get pretty much uh, cemented into somebody? Well, when the age of this start to form, you mean? Yes. And- it starts to form actually in the first 18 months of life, but uh-huh. this is a process that continues throughout life, yes. depending on our experiences. Yes. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's nothing magical about this. This is, right. uh, uh, this is biology. We all have yes. to come from somewhere, and, uh, and we learn basically how safe or dangerous relationships are uh, right. in the very beginning, and we adapt. So the anchors tend to be more secure early on? Anchors would align with the idea of secure attachment, yes. that um, they have more resilience. Basically, anchors come from families uh, where relationship becomes most important, yes. and these relationships tend to be based on justice and uh, sensitivity uh, and fairness. Uh-huh. As opposed to islands and, and waves, their family structure, uh, there tends to be a little bit too much injustice, unfairness, and insensitivity. So, the, so waves is somewhat in between anchors and islands? I'm not sure they're so in between, but waves um, waves tend to uh, have a, a, a different um, um, expectation, anticipation of what will happen when they fall in love, when they are in a love relationship, than than islands. Uh, waves tend to be much more expressive, emotionally expressive, um, mm-hmm. uh, more talkative, more inductive in their thinking, more clingy in their in their relationships, um, and sometimes you know, more disappointed and angry with the relationship. Mm-hmm. Waves tend to be very um, preoccupied with injustices and unfairnesses. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for them, relationship is extremely important. For islands, um, a sense of self is most important. Um, I, I wrote a couple of papers uh, with the island in mind, one of them, uh, you know, addicted to alone time, which pretty much says it. And another one, uh-huh. I want you in the house, just not in my room unless I ask you, which kind yes. of really, you know, gives a sense of what the island is like. Whereas the, uh, the wave um, is addicted, uh, not addicted, is allergic to hope, uh-huh. and tends to, uh, tends to anticipate um, terrible things happening when they fall in love. So it sounds to me like anchors is the most comfortable way. Well, yes, you know, we don't expect people to suddenly, or any time, actually, change from being a wave to an anchor, an island to an anchor. Um, What we want is for people to understand who they are and who their partner is and learn how to to work with um, how they're wired and not try to change them. Right. So, in a couple, let's say a married couple... one of them may be an anchor, one of them may be an island. True. And somehow they have to come to terms with how they can be most effective with themselves and each other. 
Yeah, this is not about changing people. It's it's about acceptance and understanding uh, yes. that uh, um, you know it's not a problem if somebody is an island or a wave, yeah. um, but it is a problem if if those individuals don't want to know who they are and don't want to take responsibility for their their tendencies or reflexes. Yes. Yes. Um, so this is more about understanding people on a nervous system level, even though. We're talking right now about personality and attachment, but m- more important than that, I think, is uh, the idea that uh, at any given time, we are operating automatically yes. um, uh, and not in a conscious fashion, yes. and that most interactions, particularly between primary figures, uh, is so rapid that we don't really know what's going on. Uh, and this is the trouble that a lot of people get into in relationships. They uh, unknowingly, without fault, trigger threat in each other, and uh, and then people start uh, behaving in ways that are, uh, you know, that are consistent with their memory of events in the past, their experience, and they do things um, that they don't understand, and then they make it up. Yes. Uh, when they're asked, "Why did you do that?" and the, uh, you know, we tend to make up what we don't know, and we don't know a lot. Yes. Okay, I think we're ready for a commercial break. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Okay, everybody, we're back with. Stan Tatkin and Jonathan Brower and Human Behavior, What a Trip. And Stan, before we uh, get back to the specifics, in case people want to be able to call you, what's the phone number they can reach you at? Oh, phone number they can reach me at? Oh, 805-805-300-0111. 
3074. And the website is stantatkin.com. Stan Tatkin, T-A-T-K-I-N. Dot com. Dot com. So anybody who wants to get hold of Stan, you can do it that way. So uh, now that we're back from the break, uh, if you can in a relatively quick way, um, when people, when couples come to you and they're just coming to you because there's difficulty in their relationship, but then you start helping them with your kind of work, what basically do you do with them? Well, because we're working um, in, in this particular approach, we work with the body and the face. Uh, uh-huh. um, uh, the, the therapists that use this approach focus a great deal on, uh, on uh, slight changes in the face and the body called micro-expressions or, or micro-shifts in the, in, the, uh, in the body. Uh-huh. Uh, and we use that to basically uh, understand uh, more on a subcortical level or an animal level, what's going on with people. And the reason we do that is because um, uh, since this approach uh, has a strong uh, neurobiological aspect to it, um, understanding the brain, uh, we know that most people um, uh, don't give reliable reports about themselves. Yes. Uh, uh, most people, well, I would say not most people, all of us, most of the time really don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it. So we, we don't put a lot of stock, therefore, in what people say. It's not that we don't listen, but we pay more attention to, uh, to actions and reactions that people have. Yes. And because we also use a video, digital video, yes. um, we use uh, uh, video feedback so people can see. Uh, some of the things that they're doing uh, that they're not aware of. So, and that, yeah, yeah. When, they, when they see this, they get uh, a big shift in how they are. They're aware of, they become aware of these micro-shifts. Uh, my, yes, exactly, and how to read each other's face and how to read each other's cues. Yes. Um, because uh, this, it turns out to be very important uh, that yes. people are able to do this. Yes. And uh, for a minute, I want to mention that when you were talking about attachment, and nervous system earlier. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about how this takes place with all mammals, not just humans. That's correct, yes. And uh, I'm very fond of knowing about elephants, and I know elephants have tremendous attachments. And they bond together quite well much of the time, not always. Uh, it's the, this whole business of attachment is seen um, throughout the animal world in different forms, in different ways. Um, you know, elephants are well known um, uh, in terms of their, their, uh, their family bonds. And, uh, yes. But there's also uh, the prairie vole, which is being studied, has been studied uh, quite a bit by Sue. Um, oh, God, I'm just now blanking on her name. Sue. Okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and also, um, uh, the, the, there's an animal called the dictic, which is uh, which is a little antelope-like animal uh-huh. that yeah. uh, bonds uh, and that uh, pair bonds for life yes. um, in Kenya. And so there are a lot of animals that do this, um, and then of course all the primates. Yes. Okay. So I, I don't know if ants and bees have attachments, but uh, maybe you so. don't know if what I'm sorry. If if insects have this kind of attachment. I, you know, I don't know um, if they have this kind of attachment. They certainly have um, societal rules oh, that are sort of wired into their DNA. Yes. Um, uh, 
but I can't speak too much about their attachment. No, okay. So I'm looking, I have, I have your wonderful book in front of me, and if we just go through chapters for a while, if we can, the first chapter is called The Couple Bubble, How You Can Keep Each Other Safe and Secure. So in essence, what do you do to help them feel safe and secure with themselves and their partner? Well, the principle here is that uh, that uh, in a primary attachment relationship, which is what a romantic relationship generally yeah. is when it's permanent, yeah. um, uh, that uh, there are certain rules that this kind of relationship uh, tends to function under yeah. that's different than any other kind of relationship. And one of those rules has to do with fidelity to safety and security, uh, where both partners remain good stewards of that system. Uh-huh. So the couple bubble basically is an idea of these two people who are choosing to be together yes. um, and to do things for each other that nobody would really want to do because it's a lot of work. And uh, they protect each other in public and private. They uh-huh. have a social contract uh, with principles that are based on true mutuality and fairness, uh-huh. uh, such as things that are good for both people, uh, we tell each other everything, we don't keep secrets, uh, we take care of injuries very fast, things like that. Yes. So basically, the couple bubble is the first idea here that without a, uh, a strong safety and security system, yes. neither partner will thrive. And so some of these people come to see you and they're not thriving that well, but they end up, yes, in a certain amount of time, feeling more safe and secure. Well, a lot of people, unless we, you know, unless we didn't see this with our parents, unless we don't have models of how uh, how a good couple system works, um, yes. we may just do what we know, and in fact, we will do what we know, yes. and we may uh, start to uh, uh, play out an insecure model in our relationship, which again is is not based on fairness and justice and sensitivity. Uh-huh. So, a lot of people need to to, to understand yes. that without this couple bubble, the relationship probably won't be sustainable. What's your guesstimate of uh, what percentage of the human population uh, needs help with this because they've had um, experiences with their parents that were negative? It's hard. I I don't know, but but I know that in the attachment world, the the latest aggregate study of the Western world Uh was... uh, 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 only uh, about 53 to 56 percent of the population as anchors or secure. Yes. Um, and by far, the, 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 the largest group of insecures is the avoidant or the island. Uh-huh, so yeah. We have a growing number of islands in our culture yeah. um, who are becoming, uh, you know, sort of um, a prey at the altar of autonomy yes. and uh, don't know how to, to maintain a relationship. Yes. Um, don't know how to uh, depend on another person. And so there, there are a lot of people, basically, who do not know how to do a couple bubbles. Yes. Okay. And then um, you have a chapter, chapter two, the, the Warring Loving Brain. The Warring Loving Brain focuses how you can keep on the, the love alive. Yeah. I'm sorry? Well, that, and how you can keep the love alive. So uh, what is that involved? This is the idea that... Um, uh, our brains are actually built more for war than for love. Uh, uh-huh. People have to understand that um, we have brains that are meant to keep us alive and to keep us from getting killed. And that includes uh, even when we're in love. 
Um, it's, it is very, very easy to be threatening to another person. Um, and in love relationships where there's a lot of contact and there's a yeah. lot of dependency, because after all, the, the adult primary attachment relationship is most like the earliest relationships we've had. Yes. So it is extremely easy uh, for people to um, make mistakes, make errors, injure each other without repair. And um, this is why we're dividing the brain up into aspects that are primitive and aspects that are more advanced, we call the ambassadors. Uh-huh. Uh, and basically, we're mostly made up of primitives. Uh-huh. Uh, the automatic brain that, that is doing most of the work most of the time and, uh, and, and just wants to keep us alive. Yes. Um, so we're trying to educate couples on how to learn um, uh, the ways in which they can be threatening, uh, pick that up in their partner, and then be able to fix it right away. Okay. And then in your next chapter, it's uh, Know Your Partner, How Does He or She Really Work? I think that goes back, if I recall, that goes back to knowing whether you're an anchor, an island, or a wave. Okay. And, uh, and the reason for that is because uh, if you are uh, someone who's like an island uh, and I am a wave, I have to um, understand how you work. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to be very frustrated. So right. uh, knowing how you work uh, gives me an advantage in terms of how to manage you in the best way. Okay. So this is, this is more of an idea of, you know, do partners have each other's owner's manual? Do they know how to drive that car, ride that pony? Yes. And, uh, uh, and a lot of people um, don't think about it. Uh, they don't yes. know uh, how to move each other around yes. um, or to influence each other without using fear or threat. Okay. And that's what we're trying to teach people. Okay, and then in Chapter 4, Becoming Experts on One Another, How to Please and Soothe Your Partner. So how do they learn to do that this, with their partner? This, this speaks to, again, you know, um, what, what I know, um, what I know how to brighten your mood very quickly if you were down, what I know how to calm you down if you were very excited, uh, okay. what I know how to make you feel better if you were wounded. Um, uh, this is, again, uh, an expertise, uh, a, an ability, skill set um, that people need to have uh, in order to uh, to feel effective. We all want to feel effective with our animals, our, our people, our things, and we don't like it if we can't feel effective. So this is knowing yourself, knowing your partner, and, and knowing what to do or say to change each other's uh, emotional state very quickly. Uh-huh. And when you're working with this kind of couple, um, you, do you direct them much, or how do you, what do you do to help them be able to soothe each other? And... You know, I think um, people, when they're put in a situation where they understand that this is something that is expected to do, uh-huh. um, I think most people can figure it out and do it. Um, but again, many of us were never taught these skills. Uh, we never really saw our parents taking good care of each other um, yes. and, uh, and being, you know, good parents toward each other. So... It's, it, it doesn't come that uh, hard when people understand that this is really necessary. There are some people, however, that have, um, uh, you know, some problems with being able to do some of these things. Um, there are people out there who can't read faces very well, uh-huh. people who cannot pick up what they're feeling very well, um, or don't know what to do in a pinch. And um, this is going to cause problems in any relationship. Uh, that's where we can help in therapy. But I think 
without going into therapy. Most people can do this and learn this stuff from the book. Oh, that's neat. Okay. And then next, uh, you talk in Chapter 5 about launchings and landings, how to use morning and bedtime rituals. This goes talk about to the that. idea that, that, uh, that children and adults um, need to be put to bed <laughs> yes. and, uh, and need to wake up together, that nighttime and mornings are, you know, are two um, of the most important times to connect um, in the day. Yes. So nighttime important because it closes the day. Uh, and uh, and it provides uh, some kind of um, reunion um, with people coming home from outside, inside. And, uh-huh. and then in the morning, launching, uh, we get our energy from our partner, hopefully yes. not from our kids and not from our pets, but, uh, you know, we get, uh, we should be getting our energy from our primary partner. Yes. And it, it takes very little to, to really provide that. Um, we're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, an hour, even just a few minutes, of connecting at nighttime in the morning. And so we talk in the book about rituals Yes, um, so, at nighttime uh, and morning. Yeah, so I would imagine um, there's a lot of people who, especially in work days in the morning, they, they're in a rush to get out of the house in time to get to work, and that they really don't have any loving, secure ritual. Uh, the, a lot of the couples that I see that are having trouble um, yeah. do not put each other to bed at night, do not wake up together in the morning. Yeah. Um, and there are people who can't sleep together in the same bed, but they can still put each other to bed and then go off and do what they're going to do. Um, but we're talking about taking seriously the idea that at nighttime, the crossover between wakefulness and sleep is, um, is anxiety-provoking uh, uh, for everybody. And that one of the ways we get through uh, life is by feeling tethered to at least one other person. Uh-huh. And so nighttime and morning are two important times, I think, when people can uh, reinforce that feeling of being tethered to another person. So if I heard you correctly, for some people, uh, bedtime, right before they're falling asleep, they're getting anxious. Yes. And their anxiety is about what? Well, the, the anxiety, I mean, from, uh, <laughs> from a brain perspective, there's, yeah. what's happening is that in the morning and night, um, uh, you know, there are parts of the brain that are shutting off and I others see. that are staying on. I and uh, as we get quiet and we're not active, we're not talking, we're not taking in information, um, sort of the internal noise from inside begins to float up. I see. And it floats up sometimes for some people in the form of uh, thoughts that won't go away and for other people just, just uncomfortable feelings in the body. Uh-huh. But that's, that's normal. It's being quiet. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in the morning, the same thing. We're waking up, and we're coming out of another state. Yes. And for some people, uh, waking up into the day can be very anxiety-provoking or depressing. Yes. Um, being with another and for, person, and, I think, is and for some people, it's very uh, ex- extremely close and caring. Yes. When they're waking up together. Yes. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to encourage. Yes. Well, but not only encourage. I imagine there's ways in which you attempt to help them get there. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I'm curious, how, off, how long does it take you to see patients on the average before that they, they can get this and have a better relationship? Um, well, you know, it's, it's always hard to say that because everyone's different. For the most yeah. part, um, on average, um, the way we work 
is intense in the beginning yeah. uh, with a, uh, a fairly quick taper. So um, um, when we meet couples, uh, we meet for three hours, uh, then two hours, sometimes uh-huh. four hours. And so, yeah. it, you know, it goes rather quickly, but then there yes. are some people that doesn't work for it. Yes. Okay, we're coming up to a break. So we'll return in about um, 90 seconds or so. Great. So here comes the nice music. <laughs> Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower, and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Stan Tatkin. And uh, if any of you want to call in and ask a question of Stan, you can call in during the show. It's one 1- 866-472-5792. So we, we'd be happy to have your questions or comments. So Stan, getting back to uh, your book, yep. on, ch- on chapter 6, uh, the chapter is called The Go-To People, How to Remain Available to One Another. Right. So, how do, so how do people remain available to one another on the long haul? Well, some people choke on this one a little bit. Why? Because, uh, because we have an idea of 24-7 here. And what would it be yeah. like if, uh, if you had one person, um, the person that you chose to be with, 
uh, one person that you could contact 24-7 if you needed I to. I see. Um, you know, whether it's in the middle of the night because you're afraid or whatever. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the people who generally choke on this uh, usually are islands, yes. people who think that's a terrible idea. But yes. this is based, again, on what we understand about infant, uh, infant mother attachment, that yes. the idea of being able to, uh, to contact, I can run to you whenever I need to, I can go to you whenever I need to, and yes. your response will always be, or mostly be, hi, I'm, you know, glad to hear me, glad to see me, not what do you want? And yeah. um, and that that availability is there. Um, uh, I think can make a relationship their, its value go way way up. Yes. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are afraid that this will be abused. Um, but I, in my entire time in working in this way, I have never seen anybody uh, abuse this uh, yes. if it's truly open to them. Uh, yes. And we're not talking about other people; just these two people. Yes. Um, and uh, kind of partner to that is the idea that they're, the, they're, they're going to be the first to know things, not the second or third or fourth thing people yes. to know. Um, and so, uh, again, this goes along that idea of that we need to feel tethered to another person in order to have energy to go through the day, to, uh, to have courage to slay our dragons, to, to deal with you know, the vicissitudes of life, yes. which are um, going to be, if not currently, they're going to be challenging. Yes. So, uh, uh, you, you know, what we, what we think of in terms of the model here is that in marriage, uh, the vows should really be, I take you as my pain in the rear. Um, uh, and, uh, and the other person says, I take you as my pain in the rear. Um, yeah. Because people are generally high maintenance. Yes. And the job of primary partner attachment um, is a big job. Um, yes. Um, but the quid pro quo, the fact that it's that it's mutual and that it's agreed upon, uh, yes. is I think what makes it workable. Yes. Now, uh, when we talk about being uh, how to remain available to one another, obviously, when the surgeon is doing surgery, he or she can't all of a sudden go to the telephone and talk to their mates about something. Of course. So that um, yeah, that yeah. would be a little odd. Yeah. I, but, I think but, within understanding, most people are, are reasonable and understand that yeah. uh, that this um, that this is a, a virtual agreement, um, and that there are exceptions to it. But the the problem uh, is that uh, let's take surgeons for an example. Um, yes. the, it's very possible that a surgeon um, could also um, be loath to contact his or her spouse um, or partner during the day, yes. and their, that partner knows this. And yes. um, that partner becomes now um, uh, threatened by the idea of not really knowing whether this is a real ca- matter of being in surgery or whether this yes. is a style. And yes. so we're talking more about the, the, the spirit of this, not so much the actual. Uh, yes. You have to be ready 24-7. I would imagine that uh, when people who are islands, uh, if they get to, if they're able to, be more available for each other, that once they get that way, their life is uh, much easier and more expansive. More expansive, and the anticipation of, of something that will happen based on past experience begins to settle down. Yeah. Um, and people are 
you know, who are islands are less, uh, less avoidant. People who are waves are less angry and preoccupied. Yes. Um, and, and this is where people can actually uh, heal each other and help each other's development move forward. Yes. Or not. Yeah. The next chapter, Chapter 7, Protecting the Couple Bubble, How to Include Outsiders. So this, yeah. this ramps everything up a bit. Probably, you know, and there are a lot of things that tank relationships. Um, uh, in my view, uh, one of the things that will definitely um, uh, kill a relationship is the improper use of thirds. By thirds, I mean, uh, if you think of a, of a primary relationship as dyadic, in other words, it's a twosome, yes. um, uh, there are going to be third things, people, tasks, um, interests, that are going to intrude on that relationship. Yes. The way the couple manages me, those things. Excuse me, I think we're stopping for a break here. Oh. I'm sorry. That's fine. Uh. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip! with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip! Okay, everybody, we're back here with Jonathan Brower and Stan Tatkin. And again, if you want to call in and ask a question, please feel free to call 1-866-472-5792. And whether you're an anchor or a wave or an island, you can, you're welcome yes. to call. <laughs> okay, so Stan, we were talking about... Uh, Handling thirds. Yeah, how to include outsiders. Um, th this is, I think... Um, key uh, because um, uh, people who mismanage thirds, in other words, they let others in uh, uh, and sideline their partner, uh, where their partner becomes a third will. If that happens too often, uh, that is, uh, I think, certain death for the relationship eventually. Yes. And uh, this is true not only of first marriages, but it's especially true 
um, when people remarry, and there are, uh, there's a growing number of people involved in, uh, in the family. Uh, um, it's uh, striking to me how many people make the same mistakes over and over again um, because the, the, the number of people who are now included in the family, the complexity increases, but they still don't understand the principle that a primary uh, attachment relationship is primary and does yes. not tolerate being um, uh, subjugated uh, very much. So um, th- this is a, an important area where people have to learn how to, um, how to uh, maintain outside relationships um, while being careful not to throw you know, uh, each other under the bus. Yes. Uh, and this is not always an easy thing to do. Yes. Um, but generally, in, in the in the world of of, uh, of twos and threes, um, when there are threes, somebody is going to have to lose. And uh, all we're saying is that it should not be the partner um, very often. Yes. So on occasion, the the third person can be useful or toler- tolerated, but not it shouldn't be all the time. Obviously. Well, there are always going to be third things and third people. That's not that's not the issue. It's, okay. it's again, you know, the idea of the the couple bubble. Do people understand um, the uniqueness of a primary attachment relationship that it functions yeah. differently than all other relationships? Yes. You know, people will say to me, "Well, you know, I don't have this problem with my coworkers or my sister or my brother," and the answer to that is, "Well, just marry them and see what happens." Because yes. It's a different animal. Um, yes. So. Okay. So chapter eight, fighting. Chapter eight. <laughs> chapter eight, fighting well. How to win by letting your partner win too. Yeah, uh, this goes back to understanding in that other chapter about the the warring brain, understanding how primitives our primitives operate and how uh-huh. our ambassadors operate. And uh, in the world of um, of uh, love. Um, uh, this is a perceptual world, not a factual world, and uh, and if people don't understand that, they don't understand that uh, the, the part of the, the 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 one of the biggest functions that couples serve is the ability to relieve each other quickly from stress or distress. Um, that means that arguments um, happen; they have to happen, yes. but they're um, they're done in such a way that there's always. Um, uh, a sign of friendliness in play um, that it, it never gets predatory, never gets to the point where people become seriously threatening to each other. Uh-huh. Um, people who fight well know how to play at the same time, and they know when to pull things back when they see hurt or a shift on their partner's face that suggests we're not playing anymore. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and so this is, you know, again, um, knowing who you are and who your partner is, but also understanding how the brain works and how um, the nervous system works, and that it's very easy uh, for us to begin to start to feel that the other partner is a dangerous character. Um, so when we learn how to fight well, we're learning how to uh, stay friendly, basically, and that, uh, that this is not about being right. You know, uh, if one person or both people want to be right, they're going to lose. Um, this is about being able to calm each other down um, quickly, uh, and be able to work towards some kind of mutual relief. And when they do this, do they have a when they get into the program and do and are doing it well? Can they allow themselves to um, hear each other's anger and not have to be afraid of it? 
Yes, as long as they as long as they keep themselves and they learn how to keep each other um, in in an area um, where they can think. In other words, where they're not too aroused, uh, where they can't think anymore. And uh-huh. um, uh, people have to understand that if we start to get too aroused, um, there are literally parts of our brain that goes offline, and we are no longer ourselves. We're now um, we're now. Uh, basically operating on memory, and we're doing anything we can to stay uh, safe, even at the cost of the relationship. So we'd rather people not get there, um, yes. uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, but if they do, then they know what to do when they get there and how to, how to calm each other down very quickly. So before they calm themselves down in this, in this situation, are they actually having anxiety symptoms? Well, the anxiety comes from um, the 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 anticipation based on memory, um, yes. a part of the brain that's saying, "I know this. I've seen this before. I know what's going to happen." And uh, people have to understand that um, the the part of the brain we're talking about here uh, is way, way, way ahead of our conscious mind and our verbal mind. So, uh-huh. um, uh, you know, before I even hear what you say, I know what you're. Thing, and I read it on your face and your voice and your body. So this goes by very, very fast. And yes. the anxiety comes from, um, you know, uh, an identification. Of, uh, the, this is familiar. I know what is going to happen. And uh, unfortunately, if the, if the part of the brain we're, called the, we're calling the primitives get a hold of the whole system, it's a shoot first, ask questions later kind of yes. deal. So this kind of anxiety stuff... Uh, is what began early in life when they were afraid of their feelings. Afraid of their feelings, afraid of what it would do to their caregivers. Yes. Um, uh, you know, we, we, um, we don't run the show when we're children. Our parents run the show. Yes. And their parents run the show for them. And yes. so um, what we're very good at as children is adapting to the rules that exist. And some of these rules include... Um, thou shalt not be needy, or thou shalt not be angry, or thou shalt not be, you know, the, yeah. you know. So um, a lot of the anxiety comes from um, fears, yes. early, early fears, uh, based on real experiences that the child has. Yes. So in your sessions with these people, do you help them with their anxiety? I How, hope so. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you actually do? What What are some of the things you may do to... Well, the nice thing about this work is that we don't, the, the, the couple therapist doesn't go home with the couple. Uh, yeah. Partners go home with each other. So the yeah. way we see it is that they're responsible for each other. They're in each other's care. Uh-huh. So it's not a matter of, of doing anything with them, for them. Um, we're really getting them to, uh, to learn how to take better care of each other, uh-huh. um, to actually uh, you know, be each other's therapist, uh, to actually be each other's hero. But yes. in order to do that, they have to pay attention to things they probably haven't paid attention to. Yeah. And um, so they have to be aware of things they've never understood before. But yeah, basically, so they, basically yeah. you know, uh, we're working with these two people um, who are in charge of each other. Yes. So I would imagine that uh, when these people can be much clearer with each other, they're less anxious and much more loving. Less anxious and much more loving. What we want is for yes. is for people to be able to talk about anything, do anything without fear. Uh, yeah, that's of being, great. Of being uh, trampled on, defeated. Um, yeah. Uh, that it would be the end of the relationship. We want people to to really be fearless with each other. Yes, that's beautiful, actually. 
Okay, chapter nine. <laughs> love, is, love is up close. How to rekindle love through eye contact. Well, this is based on the idea that, um, that uh, uh, we're visual animals and that lust is, is primarily uh, something we experience when we see bodies at, an, at a distance, which is yes. very good for pair bonding when we're hooking up with people in the beginning. Yes. But, um, but love um, is generally generated through the eyes up close. Uh, and uh, something that people don't do after courtship is they don't maintain any kind of lover's gaze. Yeah. Um, they lose the eyes somehow. Yes. And that's one of the ways that we maintain uh, what is really actually more of an addiction than emotion. Uh, love is more um, like an addiction um, psychobiologically. It, yes. uh, it involves the addiction circuit in the brain. And yes. one of the ways that we keep that addiction going is through the eyes. It's not the only way, but it's one way. Um, so uh, the the sort of a lost art of, uh, of lover's gaze, of mutual gaze, um, yes. is important, I think, for not only keeping love going, but also as we get older um, and our bodies begin to not look so great at a distance, what yes. are we going to do? Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah. But up close, our partner looks young. Our partner yes. looks uh, new. Our partner is novel. Because yes. when we're looking into each other's eyes, we're actually looking into each other's uh, nervous system live, which yes. is uh, both familiar and unpredictable, uh-huh. uh, which makes it exciting. Yes. Now, the, in some cultures, in some Asian cultures, yes, uh, people aren't supposed to look into each other's eyeballs. So how does that work as a couple? Well, they're not supposed to under certain social situations, but not, not uh, necessarily in all situations. Yeah. So there are rules of social engagement that have to do with eye contact, and so there's uh-huh. very strong differences uh, between East and West when it comes yes. to uh, uh, reading emotions and faces. But, but in, their, in private moments, people uh, in Asian cultures do actually make eye contact. Uh-huh. Um, it's, still, uh, it's still a human thing that we do. We did it when we were babies. We do it uh, you know, throughout life. And yes. Um, so, yes, it's true in, in certain, uh, you know, casual settings and other formal settings, eye contact is a no-no. But still in private life, um, lovers still make eye contact. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Or they don't. And, and those who yeah. don't, actually many of them who don't, uh, may not have really had much eye contact with their, with their early caregivers when they were little. Yes, yeah, so they lose that on... They're uncomfortable. They become Potential bliss. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so chapter 10. Chapter 10. Do I don't need to write more chapters or we're going to run out? Yeah, this is the last one. Okay. Live a happier, healthier life, how your partnership can heal you. What do you say about that? Well, there is a, there's an area uh, of research uh, looking at uh, uh, the um, amount of stress uh, that impacts us over time. And, uh, you know, just to live through life, we're spending expensive chemicals just to adapt through life. And those of us who have had a harder life really spend much more expensive uh, materials internally than others because uh, it takes quite a bit to manage, the, you know, the, 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 the stresses, the dangers, the threats in life. Um, uh, when people are alone and they don't have anybody to cuddle with or to sleep with, um, it turns out that physical contact is one of the, the strongest, most efficient ways to shut off um, an internal threat system. 
Um, and that's important because the people who are alone and don't have that or in conflict constantly um, have this runaway threat system that is really sort of eating away at their organs. And so people um, we know now get, start to get sick in their uh, 40s and 50s um, uh-huh. if they uh, don't have a lot of physical contact and comforting with other people. Yes. Um, and um, this is concerning. So here we're trying to say that couples have a chance to, uh, to uh, uh, make their health better um, and live longer simply by understanding the need for, uh, for contact, uh, physical contact and warmth, um, and how important that is for health. Um, that everything we're talking about up to this point, the couple bubble, fighting properly, knowing each other, knowing how to, uh, to not uh, engage threat systems, um, it is about having a healthier life uh-huh. and, uh, and living longer. Um, so, so it is, while it's true that many people are healthier and live longer who get married, it is also true that many of those people who are in terrible marriages will lead a shorter life because uh, the stress is at home. Yeah. Um, so that's what this is about. It's about that here we have uh, a, a situation built in where people can actually improve their health and look younger. Yes. So um, I would imagine some of the people you see in therapy are um, alcoholics or they're using other kinds of drugs. How does that get in the way of their doing this kind of work? Well, the way we see it is that drugs and alcohol, um, just like workaholism or pornography, are, are, are really ways in which we replace people. Um, people, you know, change our state. But these, these uh, other things that we do, uh, pornography, uh, workaholism, uh, uh, you know, alcoholism, also uh, are quick and down and dirty ways to change our internal state. But they're, at the, they're, they're a replacement for what a person would or could do. Islands and ways are afraid of using others for this purpose, yeah. and so they are more inclined to go towards uh, behavioral addictions and substance abuse. Um, but that's how we look at it. It's really less of a problem having to do with... Uh, it's a relationship issue. Um, it's, it's one of the ways that we turn to ourselves to self-stimulate or self-soothe um, rather than go to another person, because we don't believe another person could do it well. I see. So um, some of these people come to you and they, let's say they're using alcohol or other drugs. Do they on their own just stop using those drugs as they get close to the other person, or do they need to go somewhere first and then come back? Not the way I look at it. Um, uh, I think it is best done in a couple uh, situation because rather than go after the drug or alcohol addiction directly, um, by moving people together and yeah. them using each other more, it kind of squeezes out the opportunities to do some of the behavioral addictions. Oh. Uh, so it kind of takes care of itself without having to go after it directly. That's uh, very good. Uh, again, our focus is on, is on creating and helping people to create a secure functioning relationship, which doesn't mean they have to be secure. Yes. Uh, it just means they have to operate under those principles um, of fairness, justice, and sensitivity um, where, where the relationship comes first uh, because it's under that protection that they're actually able to develop and grow and be, uh, uh, you know, uh, what they want to be. That's uh-huh. it. Okay. So, um, uh, at one, is time up? Aw. So we're saying goodbye now. Is that right? <laughs> 
Yeah. Again, thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. 